Well, I wonder if we could turn again in the book of Genesis, this time to Genesis chapter 29. And we'll read from the first verse of the chapter, the book of Genesis chapter 29, and this time reading from verse 1 of the chapter, Genesis 29 and verse 1. Then Jacob went on his journey and came into the land of the people of the east. And he looked, and behold, a whale in the field, and lo, there were three flocks of sheep lying by it. For out of that whale they watered the flocks, and a great stone was upon the whale's mouth. And thither were all the flocks gathered, and they rolled the stone from the whale's mouth, and watered the sheep, and put the stone again upon the whale's mouth in his place. And Jacob said unto them, My brethren, whence be ye? And they said, Of Haran are we. And he said unto them, Know ye Laban, the son of Nahor? And they said, We know him. And they said unto them, And he said unto them, Is he well? And they said, He is well. And behold, Rachel, his daughter, cometh with the sheep. And he said, Lo, it is yet high day, neither is it time that the cattle should be gathered together. Water ye the sheep, and go and feed them. And they said, We cannot until all the flocks be gathered together, until they roll the stone from the well's mouth. Then we water the sheep. And while he yet spake with them, Rachel came with her father's sheep, for she kept them. And it came to pass when uh, Jacob saw Rachel, the daughter of Laban, his mother's brother, and the sheep of Laban, his mother's brother, that Jacob went near and rolled the stone from the whale's mouth and watered the flock of Laban, his mother's brother. And Jacob kissed Rachel and lifted up his voice and wept. And Jacob told Rachel that he was her father's brother and that he was Rebekah's son. And she ran and told her father. And it came to pass when Laban heard the tidings of Jacob, his sister's son, that he ran to meet him and embraced him and kissed him and brought him to his house, and he told Laban all these things. And Laban said to him, Surely thou art my bone and my flesh. And he abode with him the space of a month. And Laban said unto Jacob, Because thou art my brother, shouldest thou therefore serve me for naught? Tell me, what shall thy wages be? And Laban had two daughters. The name of the elder was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah was tender-eyed, but Rachel was beautiful and well-favored. And Jacob loved Rachel and said, I will serve thee seven years for Rachel, thy younger daughter. And Laban said, It is better that I give her to thee than that I should give her to another man. Abide with me. And Jacob served seven years for Rachel, and they seemed unto him but a few days for the love that he had to her. And Jacob said unto Laban, Give me my wife, for my days are fulfilled, that I may go in unto her. And Laban gathered together all the men of the place, and made a feast, and it came to pass in the evening that he took Leah his daughter and brought her to him, and he went in unto her. And Laban gave unto his daughter Leah Zilpah his maid for an handmaid. And it came to pass in the morning, behold, it was Leah. And he said to Laban, What is this that thou hast done unto me? Did not I serve thee for Rachel? Wherefore then hast thou beguiled me? 
Laban said it must not be so done in our country to give the younger before the firstborn. Fulfill our week, and we will give uh, thee this also for the service which thou shalt serve with me yet seven other years. And Jacob did so, and fulfilled her week, and gave him Rachel his daughter to wife also. And Laban gave to Rachel his daughter Bilhah his handmaid to be her maid. And he went in also unto Rachel, and he loved also Rachel more than Leah, and served with him yet seven other years. Amen. We know the Lord will add his blessing to the reading of his precious word. Let's just unite again in a word of prayer. Our loving and our gracious God, we do thank thee for the word of God today, and we thank thee for the instruction. Lord, we uh, are not uh, having these men, or Jacob in particular that we're looking at, held up as some kind of paragon of virtue. But nevertheless, we thank thee for thy grace and dealings in his life. We bless thee that he was changed and transformed by the grace of God. And we do thank thee that he is thy child. He is the man who became Israel, the prince with God. So our Father, we just ask thee that thou wouldst bless us as we gather at thy feet just now and bless thy word to our hearts. For it's in Jesus' precious name that we ask these things. Amen. Amen. Martin Luther, the great reformer, once said, there's no more lovely, friendly, and charming relation, communion or company, than a good marriage. And today we want to think about Jacob's marriage. We're going to think about Jacob and his brides. And Jacob went to Haran for two reasons. Remember that he fled from the murderous rage of his brother Esau. And the other reason was to find a wife. We are told in Genesis 28 verses 1 and 2, And Isaac called Jacob, blessed him, and charged him, and said unto him, Thou shalt not take a wife of the daughters of Canaan. Arise, go to Padanaram, to the house of Bethuel, thy mother's father, and take thee a wife from thence of the daughters of Laban, thy mother's brother. Now you think of the important decisions that we make in our lives. We have all sorts of uh, decisions about our careers, about uh, the business life, about our um, uh, learning life, if we put it like that. But one of the biggest decisions that we will make is uh, our marriage. And the Bible is very interested in the marriages of people. When you go through the book of Genesis, you'll find that there are many brides. There are many bridegrooms. You think, for example, at the very start, we were reading this morning in Genesis 2, and you think about how Cain and Abel, God brought Eve, or not Cain and Abel, Adam and Eve, how that God brought Eve to Adam, and there was a marriage that took place. And then you think about the marriage of Isaac and Rebekah, and the wonderful way that God brought those two together. And there are many brides, Sarah and Abram, and here we have Jacob and Rachel. And it seems as if the Bible is underlining God's uh, the importance that God puts upon marriage. God is interest, and the fact that we are told time and time again 
about the way that these things happened and the way that the family was formed underlines the fact that this was something important in the eyes of God. Now, the marriage of Jacob really isn't something to write home about in many ways because he ends up with two wives. And we can see the way that the rivalry between the wives and the, uh, the maids here over Jacob and the division that it causes in the family is a means of uh, uh, bringing all sorts of trouble. And you can see even from that that it is not God's original design. Sometimes we might wonder why it is that God has allowed this to take place. But you need to remember that in those days that uh, single women didn't really have much going for them. They needed the protection of a husband. And I think perhaps in some ways God provided for that by allowing multiple marriages to take place. But nevertheless, that wasn't God's original design. And you can see the way that trouble is uh, caused in the marriage and in the life of Jacob here. You notice in Genesis 29 and verse 1, it says, And Jacob went on his journey and came into the land of his people in the east. He knew that God had promised him in Genesis 28 that in him would all the nations of the earth be blessed. And he knew that he was going to have offspring, and that meant that he needed to be married. And now he's going up to uh, his brother or his uncle Laban's, uh, uh, to, his, uh, to Haran, and he now knows that in Haran he's going to have to find a wife. And we read that he went on his journey, and if you have a margin, you'll see that the way that that is put in the Hebrew is that he lifted up his feet. In other words, he went with a spring in his step, and he's going along to find a wife. Now, when Rachel, or when his, um, when his mother, Rebecca, sent him away, you will find that he, she thought that he was only going for a few days. And she didn't give him the marriage money. She didn't give him the bride money in order to get a bride. And although it was told to Isaac that he was going to get a bride, I don't think that Rebecca really thought that he was going to get a bride at all. But now things have changed. And this is on the will and plan of God. And so we see the way that God it works in providence here, and God works in the midst of the situation to bring all things together. And it is marvelous the way that in our lives, God often works all things together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. But what we want to do today is just to think about uh, uh, Jacob and his brides. And there are some things that we can see in this portion of Scripture here. First of all, I want you to see him meeting Rachel. And I want you to see the providence of God in all that takes place here. When Jacob first arrives in Haran here, he encounters these shepherds. He questions them where they've come from. And when he hears that they've come from Haran, he immediately asks about his family. He wants to ask about Laban. 
Is he well? And they say yes. And they say his daughter is coming in the middle of the day now with the flock of sheep in order to water the sheep at the well. And Jacob, as we say, knows that he's looking for a bride now. And he probably remembers the stories that he's heard about Isaac, his father, and Rebekah, his mother. How that the servant of Abram was sent and how the bride was found. He went to a well and there the, uh, uh, Rebekah came to water the flocks and how the whole story unfolded. And he saying to himself, here I am at a well. My uh, cousin is coming. And uh, she's coming down to water the flocks and is just ringing a bell in his mind about maybe this is the Lord's doing in the midst of all of this. And he, the, he uh, takes uh, the stone from the well. Now, he's 70 years of age at this time. He um, is 70 years of age. And in order to impress his bride, He moves the stone. These shepherds had been waiting to move the stone from the well's mouth. And Jacob, just uh, with his own strength, it was an enormous task for a man of 70 years of age. But obviously, he wants to impress. And when he has done that, it says in verse 11, And Jacob kissed Rachel and lifted up his voice and wept. Now, He's already tried to send away the shepherds because I think that he knows that there's emotion here in what he's going to do. Now, it was usual for a person to kiss his relative. But what is not, un- what is not usual here is that usually the relative with- will introduce himself before he kisses the- his relative. But now Jacob forgets about the introduction And he just kisses Rachel and lifts up his voice and weeps because he knows that God is in the midst of this. God is working. And you know, God works in our lives. All things do work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to his purpose. God does direct us. Sometimes there are things that we go through and our trials and our difficulties, and we wonder why We go through those things. But maybe when we get older in life, we look back across our lives and we see the way that God has directed us. We got into that problem so that we would be taught and we would know uh, the way out of the problem in the future or we were able to help others, people out of the problem. And maybe you can think of times in your life when you came across somebody or you got a job or you didn't get a job. Or you were disappointed and you didn't get a position. And you wondered why that was at the time. And yet God was ordering all things. He was teaching you and he was molding you and making you into something that he wanted you to be. That he could use for his own honor and for his glory. And you can see that in the life of Jacob. He's brought to this whale's mouth just at the right time. Just at the time that these men from Haran are there. And Uh, Rachel is coming just at that time and all of these things look like coincidences but God is in control we have a God who's in control a God who knows the end from the beginning who is the great Alpha and the Omega and we thank God for the providences of God in our life 
And maybe as you sit here or are listening on today, you can think about the providences of God in your life. So there are lessons about providence here. There are also lessons about prayerlessness. Because you'll notice here the reputation or repetition of the phrase Laban, his mother's brother. And it seems as if the Spirit of God is directing us to the thought Laban is Rebecca's brother. And it is as if the Spirit of God is reminding us about the story about Rebecca. And there is many comparisons here as we say it. They uh, both uh, are, we think about how uh, Abram's servant in Genesis 24 went to meet, uh, to find a bride for his master's son, and he came to the well's mouth, and how both Rebecca and Rachel came down to feed the flocks, and how that eventually both uh, the servant and Jacob were brought back to the household there in Haran, and eventually a marriage takes place. And you can see where the repetition, Laban, his mother's brother, that emphasis. And we, we, we need to watch for those little things that uh, seem to indicate what it is that the Holy Spirit wants us to focus upon. And it is as if God has said, watch there what is happening. But not only is there the many things that are similar, but there's one thing that stands out that is not similar. Because Abram's servant, when he came, prayed. He prayed to God that God would show him the woman that there should be. And then, when he found the woman, he praised God that God had directed them to the right place. There's neither praise nor prayer in Jacob. Jacob goes on in his own flesh. Jacob does this in his own, in his own strength. He, he's immediately trying to demonstrate his strength. He, he's wanting to be a he-man in the face of Rachel. Obviously, it's love at first sight here as far as Jacob is concerned anyway. And he goes in his own strength and in his own might. There's no prayer. There's no praise. He's not bringing the thing to God, which we ought to do. That's something that we in our lives should do constantly. We should look for the direction and for the help of God. But like Jacob, I think that most of us, if not all of us, will admit that there are many times when we have God in our own strength, when we have forgotten to bring the matter to God in prayer, where we have forgotten uh, to seek the face of God as to what he wants us to do, and depending upon the grace of God to bring us that thing and the power of God. We've tried to work, out it, uh, work it out on our own. We've tried to forge our own way through. And when we do that, we're making a great mistake. And, of course, God overruled all of this in the end. But we can make a great mistake in seeking to forge our own way. We can go in the flesh rather than in the Spirit. But we are to be led by the Spirit of God. We are to walk in the Spirit of God. And I hope that when we seek to go forward, that we bring these things to the Lord in prayer.
But I want you to see, not only here we see something of Jacob's, uh, the providence of God in the life of Jacob, and the prayerlessness in the life of Jacob, but I want you to see progress in the life of Jacob. Because when Rachel invites him home, he is received enthusiastic. Look at verses 12 and 13. It says, And Jacob told Rachel that he was her father's brother and that he was Rebekah's son. And she ran and told her father. And it came to pass when Laban heard the tidings of Jacob, his sister's son, that he ran to meet him and embraced him and kissed him and brought him into his house and told Laban all these things. So uh, when it says there that he told Laban all, I think that for once in his life, Jacob was being honest. He probably told them about the fact they was fleeing from Esau. That seems to be included in the word all. He's not going to deceive. If he's going to be the uh, son-in-law of Laban, he's not going to deceive him. It's always best not to deceive. When we walk a life of deceit, and when we seek to get into deceit, it only leads from one thing to the other, as we saw last time. But this time he's been on honest. He says he told Laban all. And isn't that the best policy? He's learning. He's learning. He has been a deceiver in the past. That's been his way of going. But now he's learning. He told Laban all. And we find that he finds success in that strategy and in that policy. So we notice him meeting Rachel. But then I want you to see him marrying Rachel. Jacob now is in love and he wants uh, to have Rachel for his wife. And I want you to see that as we look at this, we see the story of love. It says that true love, love play, pays. Look at verse 20. It says, And Jacob served seven years for Rachel, and they seemed unto him but a few days for the love that he had for her. Eventually, he ends up uh, spending 14 years working for uh, the hand of Rachel. And you know that true love pays. We think of how it says in the Bible that charity suffereth long. And we think of the cost of love. And there is a cost of love. There is a cost in energy, a cost in what we do for those that we love. And we think of the greatest uh, example of that, and that's our Lord Jesus Christ. It says, Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. And you think of how Jacob asked uh, to name his wages here. Laban asked him to name his wages. You see in verse 19 it says, And Laban said, It is better that I give her to thee that, 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 that I should give her to another man. Abide with me. And so when Jacob asked for the wages of Rachel in hand, uh, Laban agrees to that. But I want you to think about how true love costs. And you think of our Savior and what he did. Christ loved the church, the Bible says, and gave himself for it. And there's no higher price than that the Lord Jesus Christ himself should lay down his life for us that we might be his people. 
We think of how it says in 1 John 4 and 10, Herein is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation of our sins. Love is something that pays. But then I want you to see that true love is patient. It's patient in tribulation. In Romans chapter 12 and verse 12, Paul exhorted the Roman Christians, be patient in tribulation. There are many troubles and trials that we have in this day and generation. You think of what uh, Jacob had to endure. He was uh, serving seven years for the hand of Rachel. And then at the end, he was deceived by his father-in-law. And the old deceiver, the man who was a supplanter, became deceived. And he had to serve 14 or seven more years for the hand of Rachel. And here he has, he has to be patient with his father-in-law. He has to give way to his father-in-law. And you think of how true love is patient. Are we patient today? Are we patient with those around us? Are we patient with our family and our friends and our loved ones? Are we patient in the midst of the tribulations of life? Are we, tribu- are we patient in the midst of the transgressions of life? When other people rub us up the wrong way? When, all, when people come and uh, maybe let uh, uh, bitterness fester in the heart and in the life, uh, when that happens, uh, are we patient with others that are around about us? When uh, we do things that are wrong, are we uh, willing to be patient with those that are with us? In Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, the Paul says, I therefore the prisoner of the Lord beseech you that ye walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called with all lowliness and meekness and long-suffering, forbearing one another in love. Are we patient? True love is patient with those that are round about them. And then true love persists, doesn't give up. Jacob didn't give up. There he was thinking that for seven years he'd have to work, and that was a long time. And he did work for seven years, and then had to work for seven more. And yet he persisted in his pursuit of Rachel. And you know, that's something that should be true of us. We shouldn't give up. It's very easy to give up in this day and generation, when it is hard, and when the things of God are despised in this world, it's very easy for God's people to give up. Maybe when there are many that are abandoning the things of God, many are turning their backs upon the true worship of God. And when that happens, it's easy to give up. But we need to persist. We need to be patient. And we need to keep on going. It says that Jacob went on his journey. He lifted up his feet. Are we enthusiastic? Are we zealous? in the things of God. But not only does true love persist, but true love prevails. Jacob won the hand of Rachel in the end. Jacob was able to get the hand of Rachel in the end. And when we persist in the power and strength of God and in the Holy Spirit of God, then we win the victory at the end of the day. So we notice uh, meeting Rachel and marrying Rachel. Well, one more thing I want you to see, and that is 
manipulated for Rachel. Because you think about the story there, Laban, his mother's brother, as it were, Jacob's mother's brother, his uncle, here manipulates, deceives uh, Jacob in order to get him to marry both of his uh, daughters. And he uh, manipulated uh, Jacob to get seven more years of labor out of him. And you think of the deceit that takes place in this portion of Scripture. And you know, you think of the uh, lies that are becoming very endemic in our own community. You know, you think of the government, and it's full of lies today, and deceit, and what they call, um, they, they seek to uh, uh, cover over all of the deception that is taking place. And you think even over the last number of months, and the lies that were told about the Windsor framework, that this was going to be the solution to the whole problem, or the lies that were told about the original protocol, or the lies that we have been told time and time again about what is taking place in government. And it seems to be that government and the civil service just goes on a diet of lies. My, when we have a community like that, and people are being taught that lies are something that is uh, that are to be usual and are, are to be used, then we have a very sad state of things altogether. We need to have a, a land in which there is integrity, in which there is honesty, in which people face up to what is wrong and what is right. And we need to have a turnaround in this day. It's not it's not good enough to have lies. It's not good enough to have propaganda. It's not good enough to have these things. We need a land again in which there's integrity and in which there's honesty at the very heart of our land. But we think not only is there a lesson about integrity, but there's a lesson about polygamy. Now, we might ask ourselves, Jacob here ends up with two wives, Leah and Rachel. And we might wonder to ourselves, how God, why does God allow that? Well, as I said, perhaps there is the protection of the women in that day, but it wasn't God's original plan. You remember what God said in the Garden of Eden, for this cause shall a man leave his mother and his father and cleave unto his wife singular. That's God's plan. That's God's purpose. And the fact that God allows multiple wives here doesn't mean that God approves of multiple wives. We sometimes mistake the fact that these sometimes things happen in the Bible and sometimes People, maybe atheists or whatever, will take up the fact of slaughters that take place and whatever, and they will say that this is something that uh, is um, immoral. And yet sometimes it is that things take place that are recounted and are reported, but it doesn't mean just because it's accounted or reported in the Bible, it is something that God approves of. But you think here of the polygamy that takes place, and it leads to disaster. It leads to division in the family. 
It leads to rivalries in the family. And it leads to, oh, and if, if there was nothing else, you can see the way that God uh, uh, set up families in the original is the way that is right and the way that our uh, society should be uh, organized. And when there's an attack upon that, when there is any breakdown of that, then our society is in complete trouble. And there are those. There are those today. There are those who want to destroy the family, who count it as some kind of instrument of oppression. They want to pull it down. That is their stated goal. That is what they want to do. You have Pride Month on at the present time, and where we, there has been a redefinition of marriage. Now, they can't redefine marriage because marriage is defined by God, and it is the, uh, it is the marriage of one man and one woman. But there is the push to bring down all of these things, to bring in the, this, this sex education thing that has been brought. This is another attempt to break down the traditions that we have from the Word of God. And we need to stand against those things. And we need to have prayers in our hearts. We need to pray with all our hearts that God will step in in mighty power. Because if they break down the fabric of society, anything will go, and anything will go. There will be violence. Uh, people will give vent to every lust and give vent to every uh, kind of untoward feelings that they have. And that, that has been prevented by the adherence to the Bible, by Bible morality in the past. And we need to get back to the Bible morality. And you can see that even in the story that is before us. There needs to be integrity and there needs to be a getting back to what God has legislated and laid down in his precious word. That's the only way that a society can be run. The God who has made us is the God that knows what is right and what is proper for us. And when we depart from that, then it is a disaster. But we think here of uh, Jacob here. We see him and his brides. And God uh, has overruled in his life. There are things that have entered in uh, that God has allowed, but those things maybe are, not, are things that would be uh, things that we should uh, uh, modify and make sure that they're right in our own lives and in our own hearts. But nevertheless, we can see that God is in control. God is teaching a servant. He has to teach us. He has to deal with our sins. He has, he has to deal with our waywardness. He has to deal with the things that have entered in because of sin. He, he, we, we live in a world that's full of sin. And God has to bring things about in a world of sin. And that's what we see in this portion of Scripture. God is bringing about things in a world of sin. Sin's not his fault, but sin has entered in. And God has to deal with the world of sin and brings his own people out of that and changes them. We have seen something even of the change that already has begun to take place in the life of Jacob. And God is bringing about changes in your life and mine as we go forward. 
And may we walk in the very center of the will and plan of God. We've gone on too long today, but let's just bow in a wee word of prayer and we'll close our meeting in prayer and let's seek the help and the blessing of God for our hearts. Our loving God and our gracious Father in heaven, we do thank thee for thy dealings with us, even in a world of sin, even in a world that is very imperfect. O God, we thank thee that in the midst of all of that, thou dost bring to place that which thou hast ordained. And our Father, we just see that in the life of this man, Jacob. And our Father, we pray that thou wast uh, enable us to be holy. Draw us out after thyself. Help us to walk in the very center of thy will. Bless us now. We pray that we may part in thy fear and with thy blessing. Take us to our homes in safety and watch over us throughout this day. For it's in Jesus' precious name that we'd ask these things. Amen.